Hey everybody, my name is Chip. I'm the campus pastor at our Lake City campus, and I'm glad to be with you today here at the online campus to wrap up the series we've been in, uh, God Is That You? And that really is a fascinating question, right? Like, how do, how do we know when God is speaking to us? How do we know that God wants to speak to us? Well, we've been talking about that all month long, and I'm convinced that God does want to speak to you. God has something he wants you to hear uh, about the direction and purpose he has for your life. And the problem is not that God doesn't speak. It's just that we often had a hard time listening. And what we've seen is that maybe what makes it so complicated, or at least complicates it even more, is the different ways that God speaks to us, right? That God speaks to us in many different ways. He speaks to us, you know, through people around us. He speaks to us uh, through the circumstances of our life, through time we spend in prayer. He speaks to us, uh, we read in the New Testament that he uses visions and dreams. Uh, but we started this series saying that the first most clear, the primary way that God is going to speak into your life is through his word. That God always speaks through his word. When you open your Bible, that is God speaking to you. It's not just the word of God, it's the words of God, and they speak with the voice of God. And then last week, we looked at the idea that God also speaks through people, that the people that he's placed around us, he can speak to us through those people. Uh, the problem is, as well-intentioned as they are, sometimes those people can be wrong, and we can maybe misunderstand what those people are saying. Well, we're going to end our series today by looking at one of the third uh, big ways that God speaks to us, and that is through circumstances. So, so here's what we're going to talk about today, that circumstances can be easy to see, but hard to understand. What do we mean by that? Well, we said first off, right, that God speaks through his word. His word is uh, never changing. His word is always true, and his word is still relevant to our lives. When you go to God's word, if you misunderstand it, that's one thing, but the word itself is never going to be wrong. When God speaks through people, though, they can be wrong. Even as good intention as they might be, you know, trying to help you out, wanting to point you in the right direction, they can be wrong because we as human beings are, are sinful and imperfect. And when God even uses circumstances in our lives, there's a chance that when we look at those circumstances, we don't really understand what God's trying to tell us through that. And maybe you've already been there in your life. Maybe you've been to the point where you said, man, I know that God's doing some things. I'm just not sure what he's trying to tell me. Well, the good news is, if that's you, you're not alone, because I've been there too, and there's a guy we've been reading about all month long who lived in that world for a while, and his name was Jonah. I love the time that we spent in Jonah chapter one, because there's probably no other person in all of scripture that God spoke to so clearly, and yet had such a hard time listening. Well, if you got your Bibles, we're going to go back to his story, and we're going to look at the majority of the chapter today. Uh, we're going to go back where we started last week, verse 4, and then we're going to finish all the way in verse 17. Now, if you weren't here the first week, what's happened is that the word of the Lord has come to Jonah, and they've said, Jonah, get up, go to Nineveh, preach against it. But Jonah rebelled against God, found a boat going to Tarshish, which was really the other end of the world as far as he was concerned, and he tried to flee from God's presence. Well, we're going to pick up the story here in Jonah chapter 1, verse 4. Why don't you read it with me? It says, But the Lord threw a great wind onto the sea, and such a great storm arose on the sea that the ship threatened to break apart. The sailors were afraid and each cried out to his God. They threw the ship's cargo into the sea to lighten the load. And meanwhile, Jonah had gone down to the lowest part of the vessel and had stretched out and fallen into a deep sleep. And the captain approached him and said, 
What are you doing sound asleep? Get up, call to your God. Maybe this God will consider us and we won't perish. Come on, the sailors said to each other, let's, let's cast lots. Then we'll know who is to blame for this trouble we're in. So they cast lots and the lot singled out Jonah. And they said to him, tell us who's to blame for the trouble we're in. What's your business? Where are you from? What is your country and what people are you from? He answered them, I'm a Hebrew. I worship the Lord, the God of the heavens, who made the sea and the dry land. And then the man, men were seized with great fear and said to him, what is this that you've done? The men knew he was fleeing from the Lord's presence because he had told them. So they said to him, what should we do to you so that the sea will be calm for us? For the sea was getting worse and worse. And he answered them, pick me up and throw me into the sea so that it will calm down for you. For I know that I'm to blame for this great storm that is against you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they couldn't because the sea was raging against them more and more. So they called out to the Lord, please, Lord, don't let us perish because of this man's life and don't charge us with innocent blood for you, Lord, have done just as you pleased. Then they picked up Jonah and threw him into the sea and the sea stopped its raging. And the men were seized by great fear of the Lord and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And then verse 17, here it is, the verse that Jonah is famous for. The Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Now there's a lot going on in this passage. And that may be why we've been able to stay in Jonah chapter one for three weeks, because there's just so much crammed into the story. It's like watching a blockbuster movie. It's one thing coming after another, one problem coming, one disaster coming right after another. But I think what we want to focus on today is this idea about circumstances, that God can and often does use circumstances to speak to us and direct the course of our lives. I think that's true. Maybe you're not so sure. Maybe you think that God, if he exists, has just kind of set up the world like a clock, wound it up and let it go. But I don't believe that. I believe that the God who created this world is still actively and intimately involved in it. That God uses events. God causes some events to happen in our life so that he can speak to us and use those events to direct the course of our life. And I think that it, there may be no other chapter in the Bible that you see this happen so clearly as we do right here in Jonah chapter one. For instance, there's three big circumstances that we see God's hand in that we say, yep, that's God speaking to Jonah and shaping the course of his life. The first one is that God calls the storm. The storm that was gonna break this ship apart, that didn't just blow up out of nowhere. That wasn't a natural occurrence. Look at verse four. Look at how it's written. It says, but the Lord threw a great wind onto the sea. Now, see, I love that word throw because that word throw is a baseball word for me. Now, I know they didn't have baseball when they wrote the Old Testament, but the idea here is that somebody's winding up and hurling an object. God threw a fastball of a typhoon at that boat to get Jonah's attention. That was God's way of speaking to Jonah and saying, Jonah, wake up. You're headed in the wrong direction. That was a divinely appointed event that God used to speak to Jonah. But it wasn't the only one, was it? Not only did God cause the storm, God controlled the lots. Now, look with me, if you will, back in Jonah chapter one, verse seven, the sailors said, come on, they said to each other, let's cast lots, then we'll know who's to blame for this trouble we're in. So they cast lots and the lot singled out Jonah. 
Now, I don't know if you're familiar with what it means to cast lots. It's not something that you're probably going to run across in your weekly routine. But casting lots was fairly common in the pagan cultures of this period in history. It was a a game, if you will, or a divination act, if you will, where they would have a certain set of rocks or maybe other objects that they would toss and use those and interpret how they landed as a process of elimination to land on one conclusion. And as they cast lot to find out why this storm had come, who was at fault, who had, in their minds, angered the gods, well, that lot fell on Jonah. Now, you may notice, unlike the storm, it doesn't say here that God caused the lot to fall on Jonah, but there's no doubt in my mind that he did. If you were here with us when we went through our series in the book of Esther, you may remember this, it just so happens never just happens. There is no such thing as coincidence when you have a sovereign God who oversees the world. Look at this. Proverbs uh, says this in, in chapter 16, verse 33, says the lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. See, that's big, right? Because it's saying just as much as God threw that storm to the boat God caused and controlled those lots to land in a certain way that pointed out Jonah as the reason for the storm. But that was not the big event, right? The storm was pretty big. The lots may have went unnoticed, but the one event that cannot and does not escape our attention is the fact that God called the fish, right? And I say fish here because it was probably a whale, but the word is actually the word for fish. So we'll just say fish. Look at how it says in verse 17, the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah. This was God 100%. And I don't think that you have to be, you know, a uh, Bible scholar to say, nope, that, that was definitely a God thing when that fish came up and swallowed Jonah. But I think because of that, because it's such an obvious miracle, that's the reason that a lot of people have kind of put the book of Jonah into question. Like, is that possible? Well, let me just say this. We don't spend a lot of time here, but number one, yeah, it is possible. There has actually been record of this happening, not just to Jonah, but in other historical records. Scientists have said, you couldn't live forever in the belly of a fish, but yeah, there is enough oxygen and there's a low enough level of acid that yeah, you could survive for a little bit in there. But beyond that, It doesn't have to make sense scientifically. This was intended to be a divinely appointed circumstance. This is God breaking into the natural order of the world and saying, I want this to happen to get Jonah's attention. And the reason that I have no problem with it is because that's not the only place in the book of Jonah that we see this. We just said it was just as miraculous that he threw the storm and it was just as miraculous that he controlled the lots. Why is the fish an exception? Matter of fact, you're going to see if you finish the book of Jonah that on more than one occasion, we read God appointed, God appointed, especially in chapter four. See, this book is all about God speaking to Jonah through the word, through the people, and through divinely appointed circumstances to get Jonah's attention. God can and does speak to us through circumstances. But just like we said with people, there's a catch. With people, the catch was that people are often wrong. God's word is never wrong. There's a catch with circumstances too. Look at this. While God can and does speak through circumstances, the problem is there's usually more than one way to interpret the meaning of every situation. So let's think about this, first of all, from from Jonah's point of view, right? 
When you read Jonah, the first thing that hits you early on in chapter one is just how disobedient Jonah was in responding to the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord came to him clearly, without error, without confusion. Jonah knew what God had called him to do, yet he refused to obey. And he wasn't running away because he was scared of Nineveh. We read that he was literally fleeing from the presence of the Lord. And when you see somebody being disobedient, when you read somebody fleeing the Lord's presence, and then right afterwards you see a storm get thrown at the boat they're on so much that it almost sinks, when you read that the lot came up in such a way as to single him out and point the finger of him at him as the guilty party, and then that God had him be swallowed by a fish, it's real easy to look at all those circumstances and say, man, God must have been ticked. God was mad at Jonah. This is the judgment of God against the disobedient prophet. And honestly, Jonah might have felt that in that moment. The sailors might have felt that in that moment. But the truth is, looking at it from this point of history, looking back on the recorded testimony of Scripture, we know that the storm and the fish, even the lots, were not the act of an angry God, It wasn't even an act of judgment from God. All of these things were the grace of God in Jonah's life. It was God waking Jonah up in the ship. Think about this. When you are in sin, when you have sin in your life, when you are being willfully disobedient to God, it's really easy to become desensitized to the voice of God. It's really easy to become desensitized to everything happening around us. And one of the worst judgments of God is that he would let us continue in that. In Romans, Paul says that there are people who have been so desensitized to the world around them, so desensitized to God's voice in their life that God gives them up to their sinful desires, that God lets them go and turns them over to the wickedness that lies within every human heart. See, that's the judgment of God. God using a storm to wake Jonah up wasn't judgment, it was grace. It was God saying, Jonah, I love you too much to let you run. Jonah, I love you too much to let you continue to flee from my presence. You're coming back to me. When, when the lot was cast, That wasn't the judgment of God trying to call Jonah out in front of a group of strangers. That was God showing Jonah his need for repentance. That was God showing Jonah, yeah, before you make an excuse in your mind that this must be somebody else's fault and time out, don't we do that a lot? (laughs) When we are encountered with difficult circumstances in our life, one of the natural reactions inside of each of us is to shift blame and get defensive and it's somebody else's this, it's somebody else's that. And God does not let that be an option for Jonah. God says, no, Jonah, it's on you. And Jonah had no choice but to admit that and to repent and say, throw me over. There's no sense that you would die for my sin. And then the whale, the fish. Is that God's judgment, like that he was swallowed up? I think maybe that's the way that you learn it as a kid. That's the way I learned it as a kid is that, oh man, I don't want to be swallowed by a fish. But when you're sinking, as Jonah says in Jonah chapter two, to the bottom of the sea and you feel the seaweed wrapping around you, Being swallowed by a fish where you can breathe is better than being on the bottom of the ocean when you can't. This was a a divinely appointed circumstance to save Jonah's life. And even beyond that, 
If you keep reading in the book of Jonah, we learn that the fish brings Jonah right back to where God called him in the first place and spits him out on dry land and points him in the direction of Nineveh. See, the storm, the lots, the, the fish, this is all God speaking to Jonah. And even though it seems like a negative circumstance, it's actually God using it for a positive uh, result in Jonah's life. Maybe I can't put it near as clearly as the Apostle Paul did. The same book of Romans that the Apostle wrote writing there to the church in Rome, this is how Paul writes it in Romans 8, 28. He said that we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, who were called according to his purpose. That verse is so key to understanding how God can and does use circumstances in our life. That whatever circumstances you're facing, even if they seem overwhelmingly negative, that God can use those circumstances, that God does use those circumstances ultimately for your good and for his glory. That, that's huge. You know, it's easy to, to look at, at positive circumstances of our life and say, oh man, God's good. Matter of fact, I'm telling you, as a pastor, there's, I, I can't tell you how many times I've seen a post similar to this on Facebook. Went to the mall today, found a parking space right up front. God is good. <laughs> like, okay, because you found a parking spot, that means that God is good. What about this? What if you don't find a parking spot? What if you have to walk the way in? What if when you get in, your card bounces because somebody has stolen your identity? What if you get in a fender bender on the way there? If those bad things happen, does that mean that God's not good? And while I think in our head, we want to say, well, of course not. That's really not the way we live our life. When we encounter negative circumstances, it is extremely easy and often the case that we say, man, God must be mad at me. God doesn't care about me. God's forgotten. He's angry. But I think when we understand what Paul was telling us and what we see in the book of Jonah, we need to learn that God can use even the worst circumstances in our lives for our good. So for instance, when, when we face hard times in this life, when God puts us to the test, instead of saying, man, God's mad, maybe we think, no, he just wants to teach me how to learn and trust. Maybe when we are attacked by other people in our life, that we need to learn how to endure and be like Jesus, who, as he was being on trial, mocked, beaten, and ultimately crucified like a lamb before his shearer was silent, Jesus didn't open his mouth. Maybe when you feel oppressed and attacked by the enemy, you need to learn to stand firm in your faith. I mean, we just finished the book of James a few weeks ago where James says, when you encounter sorrow, you need to count it joy. Rejoice when you encounter hard times in this life. See, I think when we understand that God can and does use those negative circumstances in our life, that we can still hear his voice in them and ask God, what do you want from me? Not God, are you angry? Not God, what have I done wrong? But God, what are you trying to teach me here? I absolutely believe that. You know why I believe that? Because of this right here. God has clearly shown that he can be trusted even in the worst circumstances. Even in 
your worst circumstance, when it feels like your world's falling apart, when you don't know what's going on and why it's happening, I believe that God can be trusted and he has given us tangible proof that he can. Well, you're asking, well, what what tangible proof? What proof has God given that he can be trusted even in the worst circumstances of my life? How about this? God didn't just prove he can be trusted in the worst circumstances of your life. God proved he can be trusted in the worst circumstances in all of history. Because God ultimately used the darkest moment of history, the death of his sinless son, for good in our lives and for his glory. That's what Paul says in Romans chapter 5, verse 8. It says, but God proves his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. There's two really bad circumstances in this verse. Number one, it's that you and I are still sinners. You and I aren't good people who make mistakes and fall off the path. You and I are born sinners. We have a sin nature inside of us. At our very core, we want to be God instead of submitting to God. We want to rebel against him and run our own lives. And that sin deserves death, punishment, and eternal separation from God. The second worst circumstance in here is that Christ died, right? that Christ died, that the sinless son of God who had done no wrong, who gave sight to the blind, hearing to the deaf, let the mute speak and raise the dead back to life. The sinless son of God, Jesus Christ, was crucified as a criminal on a Roman cross. Those he came to save cried out, crucify him, crucify him. Those at his feet mocked him. If you are who you say you are, you'd come down. That moment when Jesus breathed his last was the darkest in human history, so much so that as he breathed his last, the sky was darkened in the middle of the day, and there was an earthquake, a a, a whatever you want to call it, that tore the veil of the temple. It shook the earth. Let me go back to that verse one more time because I want to show you how God used uh, those worst circumstances, our being born sinners, Jesus dying. It says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He died for us in our place. Why? So that when we come to the place where we trust in Jesus and call out to him for the forgiveness of our sins and say, God, I'm not good enough to do this on my own. God, I need you to save me that he can and will. Christ died for us, for our sins. And why is that important? Because that's how God proves his love. God shows us his very heart because in the darkest moment of human history, he turned it for our good, for his glory. That's how God proves. That's how God demonstrates his love. It's a tangible stamp in the history of the world that God loves you. So when you face negative circumstances, when you say, God, I don't get it. I don't understand why All you have to do is look back to the cross. Look to the cross and say that God can and does use those hard circumstances, those dark moments, those negative times in your life, ultimately for your good. Matter of fact, if we were to keep reading in Romans chapter 8 and we read verse 28, go read verse 29, because the reason God works all things together for good is so that we would be conformed into the image of Jesus. But I know there's some of you out there who are thinking, well, I don't know if I can trust God at all. Like, I I hear what you're saying. Like, I've heard the whole Jesus died for my sins. If I pray a prayer and ask him in my heart, I'll be saved. I'm just not sure if I believe 
any of that. I'm not sure if I can trust God with anything, much less the negative circumstances in my life. Well, here would be my challenge to you. See, when Jesus died for us, for our sin, he didn't stay dead. If Jesus stayed dead, that would not be God turning bad circumstances for good. The reason those bad circumstances turned for good is because when Jesus died, he didn't stay dead. Three days later, God raised him to life again. That's right. Jesus who died, stayed dead for a couple days, then came back to life and walked out of his tomb. And here's the thing. If that's true, if the resurrection is true, if the resurrection historically happened, then God has validated, proven once for all, he can be trusted to keep his word and come through on his promises. And here's the thing. The resurrection may be one of the most hotly contested topics in all of human history. 2,000 years later, it has still not been disproven. You know why? Because there is far more evidence that lends credence to the fact that happened than there is it doesn't. Can I summarize the, re- the arguments against the resurrection for you? I'd like to summarize them for you. They're not based on fact. They're not based on evidence. They're not based on eyewitness testimony. The argument against the resurrection is that can't happen <laughs> until it did. If you go back and look in human history at the moment the resurrection happened, right there in AD 33 to 36, you see that there were more than 500 eyewitnesses who put their lives on the line that says, I know it happened because I've seen him. Think about how powerful the Roman government was in that time. And yet with all of their resources and all of their influence and all their power, they couldn't disprove it. If you can, we need to talk because I think once you really grapple with the reality of the resurrection, you'll learn that there's something there. And again, if the resurrection's real, if it happened, then God proved once for all, he can be trusted. He will keep his word. And if he can raise his son from the dead, imagine what he can do in the negative circumstances of your life. Let me leave you with this as we wind this thing down. One of my favorite pastors, a guy named Charles Haddon Spurgeon, liked him so much, my first son's name is Haddon. He was an 18th century British pastor, and this is what he said. I love it. He said, God is too good to be unkind, and he's too wise to be mistaken. And when we cannot trace his hand, we must trust his heart. Man, I can't tell you how much I love that when you can't trace his hand, when you can't understand why the things are happening in your life. And guys, you're gonna go up against that. You're gonna face that. Maybe even before this day's over, there will be something in your life that you say, God, why would you let this happen? God, why would you allow this? God, why am I going through this? And you won't be able to see his hand. And in that moment, when you can't see his hand, You've got to trust his heart. His heart that he has clearly and once for all demonstrated by sending his son to be the sacrifice for our sins, raised him again to new life that you and I could have eternal life in heaven. He's proven his heart. So when you can't see his hand, you just gotta trust it. I heard a preacher say it this way once. I thought it was good. He said, don't question in the dark, what God has shown in the light. 
And here's what that means in my life. There have been some dark moments in my life. There's been some moments when I looked at the circumstances around me and said, God, I just don't get it. I don't know why you would do this. And I think in those moments when, when the world feels dark and, and you feel it pressing in and there's questions running through your mind, you have to go back to what you were sure of before the darkness came. Because the dark doesn't make things clearer. It just puts shadows everywhere, right? I think that you have to look back and say, no, I know God loves me. I know he's for me. And I know he uses negative circumstances for my good. So even though I can't see it, I'm going to trust it. Maybe instead of spending so much time trying to figure out why, maybe you ought to spend some time reflecting on who. (laughs) Who's in control? Who calls the storm? Who controls the lots? Who commands the fish? Who's in control of this whole thing? God. And what do we know about him? We know that he loves us enough to give his one and only son as a sacrifice for our sin that we could live forever with him. I want to say this. If you're, if you're struggling with that, if you're wrestling today, we have people right now, this very moment, who would love to talk with you who would love to pray with you, who'd love to have conversations about this with you. And maybe you're in the middle of some dark stuff and some hard moments and you just don't know why you can't see his hand. We have people who'd love to pray that you would just be able to trust his heart. They'll pray with you and say, God, when we can't understand, help us trust. Or maybe you're here today and you know that you need to trust, not that God's using this circumstance, you need to trust Jesus as Savior. You realize that you've never come to the point where you've surrendered your life to him and you've called out in forgiveness, asking him to come into your life and forgive you of your sin. There's a button on our church online platform where you can raise your hand and say, I need to trust Jesus as my savior. We'd love for you to do that and let us follow up with you about how once you hear God's voice calling you to faith, then you can learn to hear his voice as you continue to walk in that faith. But we don't want you to have to do this alone because here's the thing. We all have circumstances in our lives that are hard to understand. And God uses people to help us understand them. We talked about that last week. They can be wrong, but that doesn't mean that he doesn't use them. If God can speak through a donkey, he can speak through anyone. But more than that, we have people who would be willing to walk with you through God's word, to hear his voice, to learn to listen, and to just come on this journey with you. So if you're struggling today, If you're having a hard time understanding why, you don't have to do it alone. Reach out. We're here for you. Let me pray. God, thanks for the time you've given us this morning to to be together. And God, I pray that your word would speak powerfully to the hearts of those who are here. God, I pray especially for those who are in a dark place and they just don't know why they're going through what they're going through. They think that you're angry. They think you're upset. They think that you've forgotten or abandoned them. God, I pray today that they would see your heart, that they would trust your heart, that they would not question in the dark what you've so clearly shown us in the light, that you've demonstrated once for all how much you love us by sending your son. And so, God, I pray that as a church, even in this digital world, God, that as a church, you would help us come alongside them to encourage and support them. God, to be a community of faith who can lean on each other and find strength from your word. So, God, I pray 
above all else, that as we leave this place today, that you would help us to hear your voice and respond to it in obedience. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.